Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. And with me, as always, DJ Mark. What's up? Also joining us this week, not the It's M Amazing champion, but I think we can call him after his recent travels, the intercontinental champion of It's M Amazing, Lavender Gooms. Good to be back, guys. How you been? I guess we got to go with European Good. champion. I'm doing well. Uh, that's what I was going to say, Bobby. That's more of a European. Europe. If he went to Asia, maybe, because we don't have an Asian champion. Yeah, do you is, remember? Europe, is Europe not a different continent? So wouldn't that still be intercontinental since you're going between continents? I mean, I don't think the naming structure really made a lot of sense. Though, Mark, do you remember when, when D'Lo Brown was a European champion? Which, of course, you do. Sure. But do you remember you when they kept talking, like they had, like kept saying how popular he was in like different parts of Europe? Sure. <laughs> Uh, Dilo's huge like in Belgium. Dilo's huge in Belgium. <laughs> Dilo was a delight. Okay, that's Mark's favorite wrestler. Nothing right, against well, D- nothing against Dilo Brown, but I don't think the people in Germany were like, "Yeah, yeah, Dilo Brown." He he was a great European champion. Marcus, I, my only memory, of, my only recent memory of Dilo Brown is when he was on the New Jack uh, episode of Dark Side of the Ring, where oh, he's okay. watching footage of New Jack stabbing someone in the ring and D'Lo okay. goes what what uh, jack stabbing this motherfucker <laughs> real highlight <laughs> that sounds fun I'll check um, that out. yeah I know those are supposed to be pretty enlightening i guess uh some of them are good some are not so good that one was great um all right boys and girls um ufc card last week was bad on paper and it was bad in reality but the main event i mean i just want to say this I want to like introduce you guys <coughs> to the two conductors of the Aaron Blanchfield hype train. Mike and I were there, saw her fight Molly McCann, and we said, holy shit, this woman is going to beat up everybody. Her next fight, I'm $100 richer. Mike, how'd you do, buddy, on this one? Let me just ask. <laughs> Um, I did all right. Yes, um, go with that. <laughs> Bobby, uh, Bobby hit me with a lot of facts last week on this fight. I apparently misheard one of the things yes. he said because I thought he had said that both of these uh, women finished their fights in the second round. Mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck it. Let me just throw the rest of my DraftKings money into a second round, um, second round finish for uh, Aaron Blanchfield. Twenty four bucks. I. Th- think the odds are like plus 1600 something Jeez. wild so i was able to turn the 24 bucks into about 420 bucks yeah i was i i, I was telling my two different things and i think my, me saying jim miller ends fights in the second round and me hyping up the body lock potential of aaron blanchfield heavily mm-hmm. god i got conflated um marcus Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it, man. Um, we got a pretty clear contender here at 125 pounds um, in Ms. Blanchfield. What do we see from her on Saturday night? 
yeah, we saw some improvements in areas where we didn't really know how strong she was going to be. And that was mostly in her standup um, and really her exchanges in the pocket. Cause she, I think, I mean, for me, the story of this fight was how Jessica approached it and how, how much she, I think she underestimated Aaron Blanchfield, especially in the standup. Cause she really came out guns blazing. Now, you know, I think she had like a couple weeks or maybe a week's notice and it kind of showed for me personally, I remember even before the fight started in, and again, not to body shame anybody, but you know, these are thoroughbred athletes, you know, we're looking at the racetrack before they trot out there. We're trying to judge how they look. And, you know, given the short amount of time she had to prepare, she, her midsection looked a little flabby. I'm just going to say that she it did. It obviously looked like she didn't get the full camp that we know she didn't have. And the first two seconds, she runs at Aaron and just goes, I mean, this was vintage Vanderlei Silva style. Like she, I really think she thought she would be able to put enough pressure and um, just violence on her and just would be able to hopefully have her just welt under the power that she has. And Aaron did a great job. Like she stood in the pocket. She didn't run. She didn't circle. She stood in the pocket with her and exchanged really nice jabs off of the hooks that Jessica was throwing at her, you know, and straight punches are going to be looping punches every time. So she was landing some nice clean strikes in the clinch. And as that first round wore on, I think Jessica started realizing, like, okay, I'm not going to be able to just blow over this girl. I need to start utilizing some of my skill sets a little bit more. So she started moving her head a bit more, which she was able to negate some of those straight punches. But really when she's, the way she kind of ducks and weaves and throws punches, they become much less accurate. So what we saw from Aaron was really fundamental boxing, just applied extremely well with a pressure fighter. She was catching Jessica coming in with the jabs. When Jessica was exiting out of the pocket, she caught her a couple times with good right straights. Um, and to, to Jessica's credit, you know, she threw a lot of punches. She landed some heavier punches probably than Aaron did. She was mixing up the strikes a little bit more, going to the body a little bit and, and using leg kicks a bit more. And I think another aspect of this fight where I think Jessica thought she was going to be really strong in and showed pretty well in that first round is that she's physically strong and it can be difficult to take her down. And Aaron did struggle in the first round to not not initiate the takedowns because she got a double leg where she got in deep enough and she had some clinches where she could have tried to work a trip. Um, but Jessica was really strong, was onto those. And it really seemed like Aaron was able to, for some of these takedowns, you need multiple things very quickly to finish the takedown. You need to get in the position, get the leverage and trip something up. You have to get the momentum of their body weight, the axis of, you know, their uh, center of mass off hilter to take them down. And she wasn't utilizing those steps. She was getting in on a good double, but she couldn't turn the corner quick enough. She couldn't take the, the, the fight to the ground. So the first round was really close. And that's surprising. Uh, that really surprised me with Aaron because I would have guessed in a stand-up fight, she would have not have done, wouldn't have done very well with Jessica. And the second round, she was really able to turn things around. Um, that's where she, when she was able to get a body lock, she'd immediately trip the legs and got the takedown. And from there, immediately passed aside. And, you know, that's really where we got to see her shine the most is, is her top game is immaculate. I don't think she threw one strike while she was on top. She basically just applied all pressure. She got out of the half guard immediately, was in side mount, used a lot of pressure to get Jessica to turn over. And as immediately she turned over, she got in the choke first, sunk in the hooks, and it was it was over. So, I mean... Obviously, Aaron Blanchfield's like best drinks are in her ground game when she's on top. 
Her striking got a bit better. The takedown she landed was extremely impressive, almost to the point where it's almost like that first round was she kind of lulling her into thinking that, you know, she didn't have the necessary skills to do the second and third transition to get her down. Or maybe it was a coaching thing. I don't really remember what the corner said about maybe there was something she wasn't utilizing in the clinch to take her down, or it just was those explosive actions one after another. Um, and to that credit, too, she took some good shots from a, probably the most powerful yeah. striker in this division and didn't wilt. There you was th- no you think she, I mean, this is not Jessica's natural weight class, but she, yeah, she probably, mm-hmm. I mean, we just did watch her bomb on Lauren Murphy. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think she said that she likes fighting at this weight class more than 25 because the cut's a little bit strenuous on her. She, you mean, uh, then, she fi- mentioned you mean then 15? Yeah, yeah, sorry. This is 25. And yeah, 15, I swear so I read there, that after the fight, she's going to she's going back down. To one fifteen, man. I don't. I don't know if she's. I mean, she was three, Mike, going into this one. Um, yeah, it was short notice, but we all think the world of Jessica Andrade. I think I told you about my confidence level was less with Jessica Andrade than Talia Santos, even you know with the short notice. Before we get into Aaron, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, she was champion at one fifteen. I mean, she never. She that belt keeps moving around. Do you think Andrade should? make another push at 115 or do you think it's just this is the way class for her she just needs to make adjustments well i think that your mental state is probably going to be the most important thing so if for her she's most comfortable at 125 um then i think that's going to be the weight class that she can best compete at and it's not like she did bad in this fight um Luckily, I saw the fight after the fact knowing who won because I would have feared for my money because I thought that Andrade actually won that that first round. Um, the number of strikes was even. A lot of people even. did in, in your defense. A lot of people did. You know, the, the number of strikes was even, even though Blanchfield um, was headhunting. Um, Warren did land a lot more headshots, but um, the, strikes were, the strikes land were about even, and Andrade definitely... Um, did more damage during the fight. Her her shots definitely had more of an effect. Um, so it's even if Blanchfield is being you know crowned, um, I think Nate by uh, people on this podcast, including myself, as the uh, as the future of that division. It's it's not like Jessica is chopped liver liver here. I think she can still make a very strong run at, at, at one twenty five. And if this is the one she feels more comfortable in, then go for it. Yeah, and she was three before this. So, um, so, Miss Blanchfield, let's talk about it here. She, you can give her the title shot right now without issue. Okay, first off, I don't want to be disrespectful to Alexa Grasso, who's fighting Valentina in 11 days. 12 days, I think. But it's hard to see Valentina. I mean, it's not impossible, but, you know, but it's hard to see a champion like Valentina losing her title when there is no real area where the opponent has a advantage. You understand what I'm saying? And I mean, I'm sure we can get like real nuanced with it and maybe like just hands. Grasso's technical boxing is better or something, but like realistically, like, I don't know what her avenue to victory is. So everybody here, spoiler alert, we're all probably picking Valentino to win next weekend, right? Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Do we go, Aaron? Do we think Aaron Blanchfield is going to get a title shot? Mike, we'll start with you. And do you think she should go straight to a title shot? Uh, of course she could. I, I mean, of course she should. Uh. Um, Grasso is on a pretty, I think, what, a three or four fight, fight win streak, which it's very good. But let's think about her road to this title shot. She beat Macy Barber, who maybe once upon a time, two, three years ago, we thought, oh, maybe she could be a thing. But it hasn't really materialized where you think it's going to be. She beat Joanne Culp- Joanne Wood, who is a, I mean, come on, let's be real. And, you know, Arujo, who looking at the rankings, um, perhaps she was a little higher when Alexa beat her, but she's ranked number seven. Blanchfield just beat the number three in this division, which even though she's still kind of new on the block when it comes to being in the UFC, to me, that makes her resume already better than Alexa Grasso's when it comes to vying for, for a title shot. And then on top of that, Let's face it, Valentina doesn't ex- is kind of wanting for for contenders in her particular division. So this so, is actually a compelling this is a compelling matchup for for Valentina. She can get past Grosso. So Mark, um, get your opinion on this. But there is one other variable for us to consider here. Someone's ranked ahead of her who hasn't had a title shot. Um, Manon Fiorat is ranked number two. She's mm-hmm. five and zero oh in the UFC, and she beat Caitlin Jukasian, which is not easy. I think after she won, we were all just like, "Okay, well, you get to be at the top of the division because you know people don't beat her in general." Caitlin Jukasian, mm-hmm. no one really beats her except just a champion. Um, do you think we're going to Aaron, we're going to Aaron Blanchfield, or do you think we're going with the Pride of France? As the next title contender. Assuming, of course, if Alexa wins, you know we're going to get a rematch. But assuming, you know, if Valentina holds the spell. I would imagine the brass is more interested in the Blanfield fight. Uh, I think she's a bit more marketable. I think this was a big coming out party. I think the Molly uh, McCann fight was too. Um, even though I didn't catch it, I did. But before I watched this fight, I was like, you know, I want to catch up and kind of see, you know, what she's all about. And that fight was a huge win for her. She really displayed a lot of skills, and man, you really feel bad for Molly in that one because she was just she was just in hot water all the way through when she, when she got on the ground. And honestly, I think with Aaron too, uh, she had and Mike said this before. It's like she has this mental mentality that like it's only a matter of time. If they want to give her the title shot next, they want her to fight more. It really doesn't matter. She truly and honestly believes, without a shadow of a doubt, and, and I do too, that she thinks she's going to be champion. That she has the skill set. The drive and the mentality to accomplish this, and I think that's more compelling. I don't know much about um, the other lady. I don't. I didn't watch her fights recently, so I'm, I'm less compelled there too. But I, I, a I lot think of decisions. A bit more of a story here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was gonna mention. You mentioned um, Aaron's confidence. Did you watch the interview she did on Morning Combat by chance? Is that where you? Uh, no, I haven't seen that. So. No, I saw some presser before. They have a fight. thing. Uh, they do an interview called Room Service Diaries, which is they mm-hmm. interview fighters, you know, in a hotel room, basically. A fight. Well, like, not really when they fight, but, you know, at some point. And they had um, Aaron Blanchfield on there. And she was talking for like an hour. And it's, it's, it's not that she's cocky. 
just someone who's confident in her abilities. And she's mm-hmm. just like, I've been doing this since I was a kid. You know, this, by the way, these are the fruits. Uh, this is, these are the flowers that have sprouted from the Ronda Rousey fucking revolution in 2012. If you want to do quick math in your head that this girl's 23 years old, you know, she was a kid back then. Here we are. And she talked about that with them. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks about Misha and Rhonda specifically, but she's very confident. And she even then is talking about people don't think I know how to strike. I know how to strike. I've been doing it my whole, my whole life, you know, and she's just breaking down Valentino. She says, I want to be the one. To be. She's not saying like, I'm a definitely like I'm a smasher. She says, I want to be the one to beat her. I have the skill set. I think I can beat her. So you can get they can do it now. I can. She's like, if I beat this was when she thought she's fighting Talia Santos. If I beat Talia Santos. <laughs> You can give it to me after that, or I can do one more in the top five before that, but ultimately, I'd like to be the one to do it. And, fuck, I want to see it, too. That's what I want to see. The I be, I mentioned the France thing, Mark, and I think there's a variable here we need to consider. France is still very much a fresh market for the UFC. They just ran their first show there. I mean, they sent Cyril over there against uh, Cyril Gon versus Tai Tuivasa. And I do remember mm-hmm. all of us thinking that was that's not really the matchup we want to see necessarily, but they kind of gave Cyril a matchup where they wanted him to look good in France, right? They wanted to, we knew what they were booking there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a factor in whether Aaron Blanchfield is going to get a title shot is whether John Jones or Cyril Gunn's the heavyweight champion in two weeks, because sure. the same way I thought, I think they're going to do double champion, double championship fights in Mexico with Yair, Alex, and Moreno versus. Uh, Fuck. Pantoja. Pantoja. Um, I think they're I think that if they have a French heavyweight champion, be real nice to have the co main event be you know, your French number one contender fighting for a championship also. That's a variable in this where I think that that could be the scenario, but I agree with I think both of you pretty much like there's an opportunity here. Let's let's see what this girl's let's see what she's got. She's young, she's you know. And also, Mike, what are we going to do? Book Aaron Blanchfield against somebody else in the top five? Well, and just what? Do we think any of them are going to beat her? Well, I mean, if it's Talia Santos, it's it's possible. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> I want to see it. <laughs> I want to see her fight Valentina. I don't know yeah, if she's, like, she's going to win, I, I, but... Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the point. Um, this isn't... After you beat the number three in the world, you can't say, oh, well, like, well, we're rushing. We're rushing this uh, this this prospect. Or now we can't really call her a prospect anymore. We gotta call her a a contender. Um, you beat the number three in the world. Um, you can't sneeze at you know him or her getting a potential title shot in the next fight after that. You just can't. So the youngest champion ever in the UFC, Mark. Do you know who it is? Oh, come on. That's and wasn't it Jones? Jones? There we go. It's Jones. And John Jones was. I'm seeing, if she's, I'm seeing if this woman's in, ch- in striking range. Mm-hmm. Uh, youngest UFC champion. Blah, 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 10 youngest UFC champions. Twenty. It was 23 and what is basically what I'm trying to see. Um, so he was 23 years and eight months. Aaron Blanchfield. How quickly does she need to win this title is what I'm trying to figure out because she's 23 right now. When was she born? Oh shit, she's gonna she's gonna turn twenty four in two months. In, th- in two months, uh, no, we're not. She's not getting girl. it. We're already passed. <laughs> well, she'll still be probably youngest women female. Yeah. yeah, I mean, honest question here, guys. Um, and we're gonna talk about one of these ladies later on today. 
A, B, C, or D. These are your choices for what, what, who or what what dethrones Valentina. A, Alexa Grasso. B, Aaron Blanchfield. C, Tatiana Suarez. D, her own choice. She just gives it up. What do you mean by her own choice? She gives it up. I think it's like she she, she gives it up. She, be, okay. she beats Amanda and then she moves up. I don't know. Something like that. Like that's what I'm saying. Um what do you think, Mark? Well, I think the most obvious of that is is Aaron giving her position, mm. right? And cuz the other one the Grosso, you know, really doesn't have a shot. Um we're going to find some stuff out <laughs> this weekend, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would be that'd be a huge upset in my eyes if Alexa Grasso was able to to, to no, win. No, no, I meant fight. this weekend with Suarez fighting. That's what I meant. We're gonna learn a little bit about oh, Suarez. Well, okay, the problem with Suarez is like I think she needs to win this fight coming up, obviously, and I still think after that she'll need a fight or two. Mm-hmm. Now, if Suarez wins and they want to go this other route with the French fighter, or they're not ready to give Aaron Blandfield a fight, I think. Aaron and uh, Tatiana could be a really interesting contender elimination match because you take all the stuff that Aaron's just earned by this big victory, and then if Tatiana comes and beats her, she steals a lot of that thunder. We have a whole different landscape. But, you know, given where we are today, I think Aaron has the best shot. I think that fight, there's some difficulties there. You know, I was impressed with how Aaron performed in this fight, but there's still some room for improvement. Her stand-up isn't super, like, it, it is not advanced on a technical level. It is technical on a very simple level. Ones and twos, keep your hands up, keep your shoulders up. That really helped her in this fight with Jessica, who was going berserk, right? Jessica was not, I don't even think, like, depending on some of her earlier fights, I don't, she was not in the same headspace where she was really. Well, you know what happened, bro? Mm-hmm. You didn't see, did you see what happened? And Jessica said, tap gloves. And Aaron shook her head, no. And it's then true. the I, I may have been imagining it. But I feel Jessica almost made a Jim from the office level face. Like, really? Like, come on. Well, they did they just touch gloves <laughs> seconds before. So but that that's fine. But I mean, I mean, I think Jessica really underestimated Aaron's skills. Oh, yeah. And just basic the basics of boxing, really. I mean, in the second round, every time Aaron got in the pocket and threw a jab, Jessica responded with a check left hook every single time. And Aaron was onto it. She had that hand up. She blocked it like five times in a row. Jessica really wasn't mixing up her shots. She was really coming in, I think, just thinking my power and will is going to overcome this young contender. She hasn't met someone like me, and and Aaron was ready for it. Now, is she ready for the technical prowess of a Valentina Shinshenko who is much more technical on the feet, has a lot more weapons she's going to throw? Especially when it comes to kicks and range, a very different beast than Jessica. I think that's going to be difficult. And she struggled to take her down, right? And it's when it's just a stand-up and clinch game, Aaron showed that she's, I would say, more than competent, right? She she held out there with Jessica, but I didn't see the skill set that she needs to hang with someone like Valentina if she can't take her down. Now, she takes her down, that all changes. Aaron Blanchfield is, I think, heads above where Valentina is. We've seen Valentina on the ground. She's not bad. She's no slouch. She has a decent bottom game, but it's pretty defensive, right? She's not really yeah. known for being super active on the bottom. A lot of times when she got down with Santos, it was just holding on. Let's wait for the next round. We'll get it back or whatever. And what we saw in this fight was Aaron got on the ground, and that was fucking time to work. She went to work immediately and finished that fight very quickly. 
without having to exert a lot. She re really just rode Jessica, let her make the mistakes she makes, and capitalized. Jessica got in the same position with Valentina. Valentina did not finish Jessica with a rear naked choke. There was multiple times Jessica likes when she gets in a bad position, give up her back, stand herself back up. Valentina, how did Valentina? How did she finish her? Uh, I don't remember. I basically saw this on someone else's yeah. thing where they basically said like they had pictures of Valentina and Aaron Blanchfield in the same position. And it's a different yeah. landscape altogether. It's a title fight, right? I think Valentina is really careful about her P's and Q's. Doesn't want to make any. Well, it's also a title. One mistakes. person trained for a title fight in one scenario, and the other fight she took it on ten days' notice or seven exactly. days. You know. But you see how Aaron attacks on the ground. It mm. is attacking. It is not. Let's hold here and wait for the position. I think that's why she got advanced on Jessica. I think Jessica got taken down. She's like, okay, she's gonna wait a second. You know, bide her time, make her move, and it was no. On the ground, passing guard, inside, immediately. There was no hesitation whatsoever. That's the highest level of grappling. That's what these guys do. Guys and gals. You know, when they get on the ground, that was time to work. And she went right to fucking work. And she obliterated so, Jessica there. You're general. So you're thinking Aaron. By the way, to be <laughs> clear, when I was saying, like, who's going to be the one to take her title? Part of me is, like, I wasn't thinking, like, Tatiana Suarez is going to win one fight and get a title shot. Tatiana Suarez is, is not even ranked. She hasn't fought in three and a half years. Mike. Right. What's gonna what, what what ends Valentina's title reign? Are those four options? If you had to pick one, oof. Uh, I think if you had to pick one of those, um, well, I would like to see Aaron win. Um, I would go with uh, Valentina just moving up and just leaving the one twenty five division and uh, finishing any unfinished business uh, while she still can with Amanda Nunes. Um, Probably not the sexiest pick to make because you well, might be right, bro. you know. I put it in there for a reason. It might happen. Like, <laughs> like I could have said it. But right. <laughs> no, but um, you know, until I see someone actually beat Valentina, she has been dominant in this in this division for damn more than six years. I mean, when did when did she win the title? She won it what in twenty seventeen. Yeah. Um, and outside of what, like a, like a, a split, the split with Santos in the last fight, mm -hmm. and uh, what? Jennifer it Meyer was, uh, gave her Jennifer, Jennifer Meyer gave her, Meyer, yeah, gave her a tough was round. I was thinking about where gave 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 us some gave us some tough competition. Um, it hasn't been particularly close in any of the fights um, that Valentina's had. So <clears throat> as much as I would like Aaron to, to win because, you know, she's young, it'd be a nice breath of fresh air. Um, I'm not going to bet against Valentino. I I think it's going to be Aaron. Um, I don't think it's necessarily going to be the first time they fight, though. Like, I, I think that we're going to have this might be like a I don't know. I mean, she might get her, but. You know, you get like a GSP Matt Hughes situation where the first time they fought, you know, the moment got to GSP, he'll tell you that. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Aaron, but like something, you know, we might lose the first one and be back. I think she's going to be a champion in this weight class. One way or another. Um, this weight class is kind of uh, coming together a little bit, little by little. We got some stuff happening. We got some young people showing up. We got Aaron Blanchfield as a contender. We got... Tatiana Suarez coming back from injury. We got Casey O'Neill, who's young and making things happen also. Like, there's... Things might be happening here, man. Things might be happening. Um, well, they need it, because this this is one it, of the I mean, it might be one of those... I mean, 
some of it is because the champion has just marked everybody. You know, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, she just fought Lauren Murphy. It's like no, no disrespect to Lauren. She put in a good body of work, but like she's not really up there with championship caliber skill set. Right. So like, I think we've seen a couple of people where she fought. I think Lauren Murphy was her last defense. Oh, that did happen. It was. Why did that happen? I mean, and that's what I'm saying. It's like (laughs) she cleared out the division and we're getting like Alexa Grosso. Nothing against Alexa Grosso. She's a good fighter. She's not really at this caliber. She didn't want the title shot. She was like, I need one more. She's not really there. So, I mean, this division needs this new blood bad. And it could also be like you said, like, I think Valentina, I think Mike made a great point. And so did you, Bob. I think Valentina wants that Nunez fight more than anything else. I don't think she's scared of Aaron Blanchfield necessarily, but I think that interests her a lot less than like, I want to go avenge my 135 loss, be a double champion, give me one more shot. I earned it. And after that, maybe she retires. Maybe she doesn't. And I she mean, doesn't fight Aaron and we'll see what happens there. But I want to be, I think she's going to push for that more than she's going to be like, oh, there's a super young up and coming fighter who has a high skill set and something that I'm not necessarily, you know, it's not my, you know, bread and butter necessarily. I think she's going to look at Amanda Nunes and be like, that's the big money fight. That's she, a she needs to grab the fight. microphone money. on, uh, on Sun on Saturday and just ask for <laughs> that. Cause if she wins this fight and it's not, there's no fuckery afoot, right? She just wins this fight, right? That would give her 10 straight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 10 straight fights at flyweight. Nine of them mm-hmm. being title fights, right? In that equation? Yeah, nine title fights. There's a lot of finishes in there. Some of them not finishes. And I think, honestly, man, we almost missed this again. When Amanda lost that title last time. Like, I don't know. They haven't booked, they haven't booked mm-hmm. Amanda yet. We were all hearing it was gonna be uh, they were gonna they were gonna book Amanda on this card at one point. It was gonna be Amanda versus Irene Aldana. Remember we were talking about that. Like mm. part of me thinks that might be what we're I mean, that might be why, because what's her name keeps babbling that she deserves another shot. Um Pena. Pena. Mm-hmm. Which okay, she was I get it, it's one to one, but you're like there's a reason we're all looking at the like the the betting odds has you as a fucking six to one underdog in a rematch. Here. Sure. Like that was a slaughter. Um, I think, I think we might be getting there. So anyway, um, and if she wins that title, she gives it up. She gives up the, they make you give up the lower weight title always. That's just the way it is. So we'll see. We'll get to that. Um, rest of this card was not great, except for, I actually thought the Jim Miller and Alexander Hernandez fight was really good. I enjoyed it. Um, not the part where I lost money. That part sucked. The rest of the fight though, real good. Um, and uh, Myra Bueno Silva hit a knee bar on Lena Landsberg. That was real slick. Like we always had the joke, Stefan mostly, how nobody actually knows any leg locks except for like Paul Harris and everybody else is just gra- grabbing at limbs, hoping for the best. She looked like she knew what she was doing down there. Um, and I don't want to be mean, but William Knight had one of the worst three round performances I have ever seen in the UFC and I've seen a lot of fights like a a lot of fights Uh, it was so bad it was like he did not consider the possibility he was going to get leg kicked and then made no adjustments as to the leg kicking that was going on for the whole 15 minutes it was real bad he's not going to have a job probably but yeah Um, he looked real yoked 
you know, maybe we see him on uh, eight eight significant strikes in three rounds, by the way. Maybe we mm-hmm. see him on that Power Slap League, huh? Maybe we see him on the Power oh, Slap boy. League. <laughs> power Slap, by the way, the ratings suck, but let me tell you, there's 275,000 people that are fucking loyal. They are watching every single week, all right? AUW does a million people, 275,000 on Power Slap. AUW does 850,000, 275,000 on Power Slap. These people I are gotta loyal. assume for, for like, 10 o'clock on a Wednesday. TNC is probably happy with that. Oh, no, this is terrible. (laughs) That's bad. This is not worth the headache. (laughs) Do you know how much gruff they're taking over this? They have like Are are people even talking about it anymore? There's like some, like, I saw like some fucking board of physicians wants Turner to address what's happening. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were talking about Dana slapping his wife. I mean, that too. No, we've all they've all accepted that. They've all accepted that at this point. They didn't they didn't properly promote what ended up being what we what looked like it was going to be a classic, and then was a classic between the number one and number two pound for pound fighters because of this bullshit. Didn't have to fight sold itself. Fight sold itself. Sell themselves. We don't need to do anything. I got to sell power. They were talking (laughs) about. I was listening to the morning combat today, and not to just crib from another podcast. This is me saying go listen to the episode, but they were talking about the Diego Sanchez bare knuckle fight thing. And the mm-hmm. one guy said, this is all going to end with Diego Sanchez and Power Slap. And I've had that in my head since I heard it because I'm like, oh, my God, it's going to happen. Because eventually we're going to get there. He's not going to stop. I don't remember exactly what my year prediction was, but it definitely was UFC fighters getting into Power Slap. I think you said it was going to be a, I think there was gonna be a crossover pay-per-view was your suggestion. Crossover pay per view. We're gonna get some NFL people in here. <laughs> foot, you know, uh, basketball people. Oh yeah. Just Diego. Think about how hard it would be if the guy you have to slap is really tall. Mm, Think about yeah. that. Good point. Diego that. Sanchez yeah. versus Slap Jesus. Main event of the first uh, oh, Power goodness. Slap pay per view. There's a real guy on that show, Mike. He calls himself. They call himself Slap Jesus. It's a thing happening on that show. Slap Jesus. Um, yeah, the UFC's card was bad this past week. It's going to be bad next week, too. Main event's pretty cool, if you ask me. And the return of Tatiana Suarez. Look, okay, there's been worse. But this is pretty bad still, right? I think we'll go with that. Last week was worse than this. This yeah. one at least you has a couple of into this co-main? Because I, I do remember, uh, was it Andre Muniz? Andre, Andre and Muniz. Brandon Allen's supposed yeah. to be decent. It's like, I'm, I might watch that. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, some news, Mike. Not a lot of news this week, from what I could tell. You see anything interesting? Besides, I saw that John Jones said he's all everything's done with him in DC, saying that you know he would perfectly fine with DC doing his commentary, doing commentary for his title fight. Blah 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 blah. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but I hope DC DC does the interview post post fight, and then you know John Jones takes him down and does a suck it. That that'd be good stuff. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I saw that too. Um, <laughs> I guess good for John Jones on his growth. I, I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, what are you going to say? Yeah. He, he didn't commit a crime this week, so good job, John Jones, this week. That's all I can say at this point. Hey, you got to take it day by day with some people. Uh, I think the only thing of note, which is this is saying something, mm. is some people seem to be butthurt that conor mcgregor might be angling to have some of his boys be in the tough house you think people complaining uh are go- we're gonna watch tough anyway mike um maybe you know i'll give them the benefit of the doubt it's nice of you yeah 
Of all the things we're going to complain about with Conor McGregor, this is it, huh? Trying to get his boys again. We got Artem because of Conor McGregor's trying to get these dudes into tough. All right? We got Artem the GOAT. He beat... We don't talk about this enough, but he beat Pauli Malignaggi in that bare knuckle fight. And it wasn't a, like a controversial win. Like, <laughs> I was watching it happen. Like, Pauli Malignaggi is losing a fight to one of the least skilled MMA fighters any of us have ever seen. Okay. <laughs> um, looks like we got a date they're aiming for. Um, for Aljo versus Cejudo, May uh, 6th, which would be... Well, that's May 6th. UFC 288. Don't know what's with this early May pay-per-view thing. Um, we're old. We always thought the UFC would like to run pay-per-views on Memorial Day weekend, but not a thing. Um, Cejudo's last fight was actually May 2020-20, so it would be a three-year break for that man between fights. So we'll see what happens there. Um, let's do... Uh, what do you think, Mark? Should we talk a little about Bellator? Mention Bell. I will talk about Bellator for a minute at one, and then get into the UFC fights, sure. and then we can do stuff yeah, so we like. No, sorry. Then we can do a a fight we can introduce in there. So sure. All right. I'm gonna mention the Bellator part here because I know the boys aren't necessarily watching this, but Bellator has got themselves two welterweight champions, and you know what you got to do in that time, man. You fucking hang the two belts up. You get the ladders. You go ladder match, all right? That's what you're supposed to do. You know, ideally, the belts are two different colors. Uh, no, kidding aside, um, Yaroslav Amasov, one of my favorite names in MMA, 26-0, taken on Logan Storley. Um, Storley is the one who just kind of decided MVP can't really grapple. I'm going to take him down. And he did that with mild success and took the uh, interim, I think he has the interim one, the interim welterweight title. Uh, the actual welterweight title was taken by Yaroslav Emasov, um, Ukrainian fighter, um, back in 2021, June 2021, where he pretty much whooped Douglas Lima's ass up and down the uh, the Bellator cage. It's actually a really good fight. Um, be cool if Bellator put a little bit of promotional weight behind stuff like this rather than a geriatric retiring in Inglewood. Um, you know, but, you know, they're, they're doing good stuff recently. I like that they gave, um, they signed AJ McKee to a long-term deal. And they signed Nemkov to a long-term deal. I like those two moves. But um, the rest of that Bellator card is, I mean, it's, it's happening. It's certainly fights that will happen. Um, Mark, um, no, you haven't been totally in on all the one-on, uh, one-on Prime or whatever things they're calling these events that are on Amazon. But mm-hmm. I know you saw the first matchup with Fabricio Andrade and John Lineker ended in uh, controversy because I think Lineker got kicked in the dick, right? I think. I think it was a knee, but yeah, yeah. it was a groin shot. Uh, <laughs> he saw a light on the yeah. tunnel and he took it, boy. It was not going well. One bit. It was not going well. He was starting to get tuned up by Andrade. Uh, mm-hmm. They're going to run it back. Uh, you got to think that's not going to go well for John Lineker after that last matchup. Yeah, I mean, Lineker definitely seems like, at least in the few fights I've seen outside of the UFC, like he has a style. And I don't res- necessarily know if he's really been evolving as much as like he's always been a tough fighter. It always seems like weight cuts were his biggest opponent, um, being sure that he wasn't super dehydrated. Mm. He has a ton of power. Um, but in that fight, like you said, 
he got marked up really bad. He was taking a pretty bad beating. Um, and that groin shot, I mean, it was a hard shot, you know, and you don't want to like, I mean, it's surprising that so many guys that get hard shots on the groin can, you know, want to continue to fight words, you know, sometimes it can be really debilitating. We don't know necessarily how bad it was for yeah. John, but you know, watching well, that fight, we're poking, like, some, well, we're poking some fun here, but it was not thing. The tide had turned a little bit leading up. Yeah. To I mean, moment. he, he was, he was already taking a lot of damage and that seemed pretty damaging. So it is what it is. It happened. They're running it back, which I think is the right thing to do. Um, but it does seem like it's going to be, you know, a difficult fight for him. That first one did not go his way. He's going to need to make some adjustments. And like I said, I just don't know, you know, given his stature, his height, like he has a certain way of fighting. He needs to get inside and throw those bombs. That's kind of what he does. And if he can't do that, he's going to have a difficult night. I think that's some of the things he faced in his last fight. It's been a while since I saw it, but, you know, I think he was having a hard time in these exchanges. He was getting caught on the outside. It's going to be interesting to see if he can make those adjustments or, you know, if history will repeat himself. And he's going to have another difficult fight that, you know, there's, I think there's a high likelihood that he'll lose. And I, I guess you were talking before the podcast. There's no line right now for that. Yeah, I'm trying. I, I can't find him. I'm, I, there's got to be better ways to. I mean, if one. I'm going to talk about one at the end of this podcast. Uh, it might not get a lot like, of action. Yeah. So maybe a lot of these betting yeah. sites don't early. I mean, get I, dude, on I, can, it, so. I can bet on legacy fighting for the love of God. And I can't bet on mm, one okay. sometimes. It's Fair just, point. it's ridiculous. <laughs> dude, I can bet on how many people John Wick's going to kill in that moment. That line's gone now. Well, everyone's interested in how many people John Wick's going to kill. Over under set at 99.5, guys. 99.5 <laughs> on how many people John Wick kills in this movie. Looks like he kills about 50 in the trailer. So, uh, anyway. Um, yeah, those two things are happening, too. I love the one product on Amazon. I think it's just... I'm every, every, part, every time I've watched, I've really enjoyed it. Um, they're completely full of shit when it comes to their weight cutting and anything they say with numbers. The weight cutting thing I'm going to talk about at the end of the podcast. Um, Mike, UFC, back in the apex. Let's make our picks here. Um, I think I actually we're we're all first place, right? Are we three of? Are you, me, and Chalk in first place? Yeah. Sure. Mm, sure. Yes, it, it is. Chalk was beating all of us, and then, and then last you, week it dropped one, and you guys gained one, and I dropped one. So now I'm at the end of the. I'm, I'm caboosing it. Um, Nikita Krylov coming off of two straight wins. Um, first one is when he just sent Alexander Gustafson to hopeful retirement in 67 seconds. Next one, he took three rounds uh, off of Vulcan Ozdemir back at UFC 280. Ryan Spann, Mike and I saw him just kill Dominic Reyes in 80 seconds in New York City and then talked about how he's going to actually start trying to train because he wasn't really doing that before. Um, before that, he beat Yon Kutilaba Bagiatine in two minutes. Uh, my man's got 18 finishes and 21 wins. His last five fights, where he is three and two, ended in the first round. So, yeah, just under one and a half rounds coming in at minus 120. Just just saying. Um, Mike, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I really don't care. I'm not, I'm um, not going to change, change who I pick. <laughs> No, yeah, uh, I can uh, I can go first mm-hmm. on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, with Ryan Span on with with, with this one. Uh, his uh, performance in his last fight um, really uh, you know really impressed me, and this could go one of two ways. His uh, the main reason why I'm picking him is because of his comment saying he's actually gonna start training. That, that's why um, I'm about to pick him too. <laughs> to 
that's it's it could either mean this man has had no type of work ethic or and like this like this doesn't mean anything good for his career or this man has had no work ethic and he's been able to do this if he actually tries now holy shit bro he's huge I remember when he was fighting like Reyes, we're both like, yo, he is as tall as this big dude. He's 6'5". That's a large man. Honestly, it went so well for me last week betting on someone I saw fight <laughs> at Madison Square Garden, Mike, that I'm like, yeah, man, let's keep this train going. Um, if it gets to the second, if it gets to the second, or anywhere into the second round or third round, it was his problems. It was real problems at that point. Because uh, Krylov's had oh, like 100 fights. I'm exaggerating, but he's at 40 fights. Um, 27 finishes, and this is not going to decision. Jesus, he's got 27 finishes and 29 wins. This who's got 18 finishes and 21 wins. It's not going to decision. Uh, I think it's going to be a great fight. I got Ryan Spann also. I don't know, man. I just, I'm feeling it here. I don't, I, I also don't think like Nikita Krylov's going to win three fights in a row in this weight class. I don't. So I got Ryan Spann. I know the betting lines uh, disagree with us, Mike. Right? It's uh, shit. Where is it? It was I close. Believe, uh, I believe Krylov is a slight favorite. Yeah, minus one sixty-five to plus one forty on DraftKings. Minus one eighty-six to plus one forty-four on FanDuel. Marcus, we're gonna we're giving you the favorites here. Do you want it? Well, I had it last week too. Did fuck all for me, so it's not necessarily <laughs> like that's great. Um, again, like the the one interesting thing that kind of stands out uh, for me with Ryan Span is he has a lot more submission wins that I would have thought on paper. Um, and Krylov, most of his losses are just submission, so that that worries me. I'm I am picking Krylov. Um, no real rhyme or reason. I think Ryan Span has maybe lost like some lesser competition. I think. I think I almost think the one thing on here, huh? Almost certainly he's lost lesser competition, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Anthony Smith isn't bad. Um, I don't hold him like in the highest regard. I think the one that's kind of sticking out with me, and it was still a win, but a split against Sam Alvey doesn't put a lot of confidence in me. So um, Yeah, that was yeah, last time that was the last time he didn't go to a finish, right? <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, it was. That was his last decision. Um, so maybe he changed course there. Mm-hmm. Again, that was still a win. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and, and you talk about Ryan Span, you know, putting in work ethic for for this fight, and I think that's a great idea to do. Um, Krylov has impressed me with just how he's physically kind of morphed into a more leaner cutter guy, because um, I think he used to carry around a little extra weight, and it definitely seems like he's taken that same mentality of maybe putting. You know, more time at the gym, kind of cutting some of the extra weight. Um, you know, his fight against Alexander, he looked really good in the Ozdemir fight. I think he was pretty dominant, but I don't really have, you know, a strong case one way or the other. So I'll go with Krylov and try to make up some ground. But I think it could be interesting. If he gets him by submission, you know, that would be me reading some of these some of these uh, numbers and not, you know, kind of putting two, two, two and two together here. So we'll see how it turns out. I mean, shit, this guy's got 15 submissions to himself, Krylov. He does, but he has nine losses and six of them are by submission. I mean, and the only Span you know, has yeah. 
yeah, half his half of his wins are by submission. So it's just weird. I I wouldn't have thought looking at Span and seeing some of his his body of work that he would have had that many submissions. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting point. If he gets him by submission, I'm going to be kicking myself a little. Yeah, this is uh, this is honestly, and then we got the co-main event here. We're not picking this, but we got the co-main event with a whole bunch of submissions too. We got Andre Muniz who tapped out Jacare. I'm sure this man's got like world titles or some shit, Mark. But like uh, for me, he's the guy who tapped out Jacare and broke his arm. So that was real cool. Sure, um, yeah. And uh, fucking he. How, why do you have to fight twice in the Contender Series? I thought the whole point of the Contender Series is. At least so many people get called up. He must have wait, some wait. stiff competition. He fought in the Brazilian time. Contender Series. Then a year later, he fought in the American Contender Series. Then he got into the UFC. And since then, whew, good work. 4-0 in that time. Or 5-0. and So, um, and then Brennan Allen on the other end of it. Uh, three in a row, five of six. He's got 11 submission victories. Andre Muniz got 15 submission victories. That could be a fun one too, Marcus. We keep an eye on. I think Muniz, we got to keep an eye on him. Sure. He's 33 years old. 23 and four is nothing to sneeze at there. And then, uh, Mike, the return after three and a half years, a woman that I've been talking about on and off for this whole time. Tatiana Suarez returns to the UFC. Um, woman who got quite a story while training for the 2012 Olympics in London, got a neck injury, got a CT scan slash an MRI, and they said, "Oh shit, you got cancer." Um, put her wrestling, you know, her Brazil, her uh, Olympic dreams, you know, kind of went away there. But uh, since becoming an MMA fighter, eight no, she's fucking 32 years old. She's lost three. She lost three years of competition time here. What's a realistic? Well, what's a realistic? Like, what can we realistically expect from here? Because they gave her somebody she, if it was the old version of her, you know, she's going to take them down and do Tatiana Suarez things to them. What are, what do we realistically expect from her, I guess? I think you're probably going to be expecting that she's going to, you know, fall back on what she knows best and what she feels most most comfortable with. So... To that end, I would assume we're going to see, uh, you know, an exhibition of takedowns in this fight. We're going to get a finish? Uh, I, I don't know about that. Um, I think I we also, are, man. Uh, I also prescribe to ring rust, so perhaps not. I think she's going to finish her. Listen, I, I thought that I think that Montana De La Rosa is a bad fighter. I mean, she's not. She's, you know, been into UFC for six years and... It's got a winning record at that, uh, five, three, and one in the UFC, from what I can tell. Um, I just think, I just don't think she's gonna. I, I think I don't know. I think Tatiana's. I, I, you waited this long. I don't think she's coming in half cocked. I think she's ready to fucking explode and get it done here. But we'll see. Uh, rest of the card is what it is. Uh, certainly, some fights that will happen. Um, there's no Wikipedia pages for. 90% of who's left, feels like. So, Marcus, anything you want to point out from these people on the undercard here? Uh, no, I was trying to think. There might have been one person. Oh, uh, Jordan Levitt, who Ooh. lost to Patty. Yeah. As a fight. So, see how he bounces back. You know, that was not a great performance against Patty, um, but he was really fighting fire with fire. Um, I'm not familiar with his opponent, so we'll see how that shakes out. But yeah, it was someone that I was vaguely interested in before, so we'll see how he does. Yeah. Um, 
Augusto Sakai. Always entertaining when Augusto Sakai fights. Yeah, uh, UFC putting in little to no effort a week before they're going to be on pay-per-view. In the same uh, in the same city. So, making life easy on everybody. Do you think do you think that uh the UFC can survive this card mark if yet another one Dana White doesn't attend cuz we're at like three or four in a row now feels like he's not attending a lot of them like this fight night card yeah do you think the ufc will suffer will suffer will survive as an organization i mean i know you're being sarcastic but i think this is a good pace that he should look how about he skips fight nights and then after a while maybe he doesn't make some of these lesser pay-per-views and he slowly just oh you know he's gonna be walks this one. himself you know he's gonna be here bush, like homer we're gonna well we're he'll gonna... be at three he'll be at 285 sure but i'm saying like I'm, we slowly I'm... see less of them and he just goes back into the bushes like Homer in the meme. Uh, do you think Cyril Gon's going to get the microphone and with his French accent say, hey, uh, I am the only one up here who has not slapped their significant other? Just me? <laughs> I mean, that would Probably be quite... I mean, Gon's won me over with his sense of humor. I think that would be like a shade too far oh my God, to like win the championship though. and be like, instead of basking in this glory of like a huge victory beating, you know, when well, I mean, the, pre- the, pre-fight, the pre-fight press conference, they're all going to be sitting there? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> what I would bet money on, Bobby, is that, like, this pound-for-pound pound ranking might have a little switch-up when John Jones is hearing oh, yeah. the fight and be like, yeah. oh, now we're talking about pound-for-pound, pound, the best fighter's John Jones, obviously, now that the other fight's done. So, um, yeah, I don't think he's going to mar his big moment by mentioning, mm. like, hey, guys, I haven't slapped my significant other. <laughs> Isn't that great? What if he did, <laughs> though? What if he did? Um, I mean, okay, I think if he loses, Bobby, then and he has, like, a little talk about it, like, hey, you know what? At least at the end of the day, I haven't, you know, beat women. So, you know, I got that going for me. <laughs> All right. Got a horrible joke. Um, yeah. Uh, Mike, Mark, does either of you have a fight we're going indu- to induct into fights we like? Uh, nothing for me this week, Bob. Mark, you got anything? Nothing in particular. If you don't, I could scrounge around to try to think of a fight I saw. Okay, I, I do have a fight. I was gonna. I, well, I did. I did have one. I was gonna. Okay, bust yeah. Out. Let's go for yours then, because mine's um, not. Mine's. Uh, mine's. This is honestly. I'm. I'm. I'm recommending fights at this point. That like, if you told me like a couple years ago, like you know, to recommend, like, should I recommend a fight like this? It would be like, well, no. Obviously, everybody. Has fucking seen that fight, um, and a fight I'm about to, re- but like I'm learning that is not the case, and I've been watching this sport a very long time, and if I say WEC to somebody, or if I say Strike Force to somebody, I mean I don't know what the fuck I'm True. talking about because those things haven't existed in over ten years. So the fight that I'm recommending, and I'm just making sure we haven't done it before because I'm like now I'm wondering if we have. Um, Benson Henderson, Anthony Pettis, the final WC no. event ever. No, we haven't done that one. The final, a fight won in the final round of the final fight and the whole fucking promote and the championship was won in the, in the promotions history. Benson Henderson, this is UFC, this is a WEC 50. I'm going to try to guess it while I look it up. I think it's 52. Um... Fuck me. No, it wasn't. 53. I got close, guys. I got close. UWEC 53 at the Joe Bing Arena. I don't think it's called that anymore. Um, But arena in Glendale, Arizona. Benson Henderson, the champion, taking on Anthony Pettis, the number one contender. 
in a fucking all-time classic. Um, if you haven't seen this fight, Mark, they definitely saw one highlight from it, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that one's made the round. But even at this point, Bob, like, I don't know how much footage they're using of Pettis anymore and of oh, WC yeah. He's fights, not there anymore. Yeah, he's not even probably the, the most, company. you know, yeah, interesting highlight reel viral all that stuff if he had it, it, it'd if be he hard had to ended imagine. the fight that would have been the great it would have been hard to that to be dethroned just all things considered if he had knocked him out we're talking about the cage kick famously anthony pettis climbed the cage as the late great stefan bonner said he climbed the cage like a freaking ninja all right i think he said freaking he definitely said ninja um anthony pettis ran on the cage and kicked benderson henderson across the fucking face in the fifth round, in a fight that was two to two, winning him the round basically, because fuck, who remembers anything else that's going to happen after that? And winning the the WEC lightweight championship, it's fucking huge deal, man, huge deal. Um, Marcus, if he had knocked him out, that's the greatest knockout ever, and it's not going to change. Like, just to give uh- all the circumstances. To win I a mean, championship, me, all that like stuff. It, him not finishing, that not knocking him out doesn't really deter it too much because it did win him the fight. Oh, no, I mean, I just literally it's not a knockout is all I meant. No, it was yeah, fucking but, the I mean, coolest me, thing like, ever if happened. It was, I mean, if it was, I'm sure it's a little bit more impressive, I suppose. But, like, the, the fact that, you know, he pulled off a move that, like, I think some guys have I, – I, I'm having a hard time thinking of anyone's really been able to replicate. I, I think he threw a knee off the cage. But no one has done it as cleanly that I can remember. Yeah. There, there could be something in a small promotion. Oh, but like Me thinking about guys going off the cage, most of them are Anthony Pettis. Because I'm thinking about the other times he's done stuff to try to yeah, go off the I cage. Yeah, he's done knees off of it. But but yeah, I mean, it was something that in and of itself was still spectacular. But it definitely was a time <laughs> in combat sports where the sport was still very fresh. And we were seeing new things, not like on a daily basis or anything, but people were still kind of pushing the bounds of like, what could you do with this limited skill set? What techniques or, you know, different kind of flashy things could I pull off? And, you know, we've definitely seen some, you know, in recent years as well, but nothing quite to that degree where someone's utilizing the cage in a legal fashion to do something as devastating as that was. Um, and to have it land and to have it be on such a, a high stage with high stakes um, you know, a lot of things aligned and, you know, it really blasted Anthony to the stratosphere, you know, in popularity. I think ultimately going on to win the UFC championship really solidified himself after the fact, but um, it really made him a superstar. And obviously things have kind that of, would, you know, not been going as well. But yeah, it was huge. It was I feel massive. we spent a lot of time in this podcast, Mike, given when our podcast started and how fortunes have a lot of it changed for Anthony and, you know, in much of the history of this podcast talking about the, him being washed or yada yada stuff like that and even though i think a lot of the times we talk about bendo was like you know he's going to split decisions you know they're not that exciting yada yada, yada. but at that time bro like anthony pettis and benson henderson put on bangers yeah like anthony's these every fight anthony if it was in at the time was awesome benson had those great fights in wec with like um uh, donald cerrone and I think Jamie Varner, there was another good one in there. And fucking, he just, these guys, that was a big night for that company. I think the co-main event was actually Dominic Cruz and uh, fucking, what was his name? Scotty Jorgensen. 
essentially fighting for the UFC bantamweight title. Because you knew that the w, the WFC was going to, you know, you knew the UFC was going to absorb WEC after this. It's funny. Uh, Dominic became w, a UFC champion. Jose Aldo became UFC champion by default. Bendo and Anthony Pettis had to just like, well, Anthony Pettis lost his first fight in the UFC. I think they would have given him a title shot if he won it, but. I believe he lost to Clay Guida. That was when we realized Anthony Pettis ain't stopping no takedowns. That's what it was there. There. Um. The fight itself, though, was excellent. Five rounds. These dudes went hard. They matched up so well together, I thought. Um, that's why when the rematch was going to happen, I remember how excited everybody was for it happening, actually. And then it fucking ended in like a minute because Anthony pulled off a wild armbar. This fight, though, 25 minutes of awesomeness. Honestly, just get on the fight pass and pick a WEC card. You're probably going to have a good time, right, Mark? Like, there's generally not a bad you know, showing in this company with the lighter weight class guys. They always tend to throw down. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'll speak to every card. No, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, there's, I mean, a, a, and you'll see a lot of, you know, if you've been watching the sport for a while, a lot of familiar faces, right? I mean, obviously UFC, you know, bought up WEC and basically, you know, formulated these lower weight classes off of the talent they got from the WEC. So you're Uriah Faber's, your Jose Aldo's, uh, Matt Brown, I mean, Leonard Garcina's not really I mean, we popular talked about, nowadays. We talked obviously. about it last week when we were talking about Jens, how big of a deal it was when Jens Pulver went to WEC to help there. Yeah, Him and Uriah Faber, Connett massive was fight. There. Yeah. Brian Stan. There was a lot. A lot of guys went through WEC, and it, it, it was a fun organization. They really did put on a lot of great fights. So yeah. I remember I remember uh, Steve Cantwell was in WEC, and I know that because he was in the UFC game, and he was one of the few guys where I was like, who the fuck is Steve Cantwell? I don't know who that is. You know, it was the robot. That's who he was. Um, check it out, though. That's a that's a really good fight. WEC 53, Henderson versus Pettis. Um, yeah. Um, I think we do stuff we like. Everybody's yep, agreeing with me. Good. All right. Mike, why don't you lead us off? Because uh, we haven't heard from you in a couple weeks. See what you got. Uh... Yeah, so um, what I've got is uh, something that I saw on Friday night. I went and watched uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Quantumania. Um, have you guys seen it yet? No. Nope. Probably won't for a while. So okay. Just keep, it, keep it just to opinions, so, no, no big facts. Good to know. I saw that there weren't there, there were a lot of uh, not great reviews uh, about the movie. Very mixed. Very, very, very mixed. Um, and, you know, sometimes you got to take that with a grain of salt because superhero movies with uh, critics still don't exactly get uh, the, the best love. They still grade them on a, on, on a curve. Me, personally, um, I, I enjoyed the movie. Um, I think that the actual movie itself um, maybe slightly misplaced in terms of the hero that it was centered around, just because um, the tone of the movie was very different from the first two. Um, if you guys have seen the first two Ant-Man movies, it was very much, uh, you know, small universe, very localized, uh, those particular stories. The first one was... Scott basically just becomes Ant-Man because he's just trying to get money to, you know, to see his daughter. And in the second one, 
he gets into the hijinks basically just to help out his at the time ex girlfriend and and Hank Pym. Uh, very you know very low stakes things I think with each of those stories, um, and you know the movies had a a fair amount of comedy um, weaved into them, whereas this one the the tone was very different um, right you know you know throughout the the, the whole movie. As you guys already know, uh, the big bad for this arc of uh, the Marvel movies is the main villain for this movie. And while I thought the movie was good, I did think how it's not plausible Ant-Man beats this dude. And even when he did beat him, uh, not to ruin things for you guys, I just I did think I don't know how he did that. It really doesn't make much sense. Um but with that said, it was still a, an enjoyable movie. Um, but I will agree, not not one of the better MCU movies. Um, mm-hmm. But still still worth the money I paid. Nice. Yeah, the only person I know who saw it was Stefan, and he was just, he told me, like, you don't really need to see it. He didn't think it was bad, necessarily, but it was just like, he's like, you could skip this and or wait. I think he said you can wait, no problem. And I was like, well, we'll see. I love the first one. Second one I didn't think was bad. I also didn't... I mean, it was fine. It happened. It was certainly a movie that happened. Mark, what's your level of excitement for the third one? Um, I, I am interested. You know, obviously the v- reviews have, you know, tampered expectations. Um, I'm interested to see... I mean, this is kind of kicking off phase five and I, I i think the general consensus for a lot of you know mcu fans was that phase four really felt like a placeholder um kind of just going through the motions because there wasn't a a big bad or like an overarching kind of storyline going on it was introducing a lot of new characters you know through the tv shows um and then you know this multiverse thing it was kind of introducing a lot of characters and aspects that i think we're going to play out more potentially in these upcoming phases. And obviously we did see King in um, Loki. And I thought he was really good in that, in those scenes. And Mike, what I did hear was a lot of people liked, uh, was it Jonathan Mayer's right performance? I think, you know, my, the general consensus I heard was like a lot of people thought he did a good job as King. Um, I also heard Modoc was surprisingly like well thought out, which has always been kind of a weird character. So there's definitely some aspects in here, but at the same time, given personal circumstances, I'm not super jumping at the bit to go to the theater. And I was able to wait for Wakanda forever. I actually just watched it this last weekend. I'll probably talk about stuff I like. Um, But yeah, knowing it's going to come to Disney plus within, you know, a handful of months and hearing that it hasn't been spectacular. I don't mind waiting it out, but I definitely want to see it because I think there's going to be a lot of important aspects going forward. And I did hear, uh, uh, Mike, I don't know what the actress's name is that plays the old wasp. I heard she was more predominant Michelle in this. Pfeiffer? Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, yeah. I know she's an older actress that's really well known. And I, I, I thought I heard that her and Jonathan Mayers did a really she was, good job. She was only Catwoman, 
Yeah, yeah, but that had Penguin in it. I didn't really, I wasn't super vested. Penguin bit someone's nose. I'm not sure Catwoman is what this woman hangs her hat on either. <laughs> I mean, she, she was, was in front of Scarface. She was, only, she was only Tony Montana's bitch in Scarface. Okay, that's a strong Scarface. word. I don't even remember her. I know she's a well-known actress. I don't know a lot of actresses' name. I was surprised I got Jonathan Mayers out. I think it's only because he's going to be in The Creed. He's been in a lot of stuff I like, and I just barely... You know, was able to spit the out that one. But I heard she was good. <laughs> yes, um, I, I caught that too. The Creed. What? That is a very different movie. The Creed. Creed, Creed 3. Sorry. Mike, uh, but, yeah. Mike, what do you got, Visa? You got anything else? I, heard, I already told you what I got. I mean, anything else beyond that? Yeah, nothing about you, you went to old Jolly London. Yeah. Didn't have anything you liked over there. <laughs> nothing appealing about that. I mean, London was cool. I mean, you know, it was all right. Um, I don't know. You get, you drink some tea. All right. We're not going to pull teeth here. Mark, <laughs> why did you talk about how much you liked the movie that came out four months ago? Because I'm about to talk about a uh, TV well, show that I came mean, out eight months ago. <laughs> honestly, like, I, I was a little underwhelmed with Wakanda Forever. Um, and when it came out, I know a lot of people kind of were saying the same thing. I didn't have, like, super high expectations. And I thought it was fun. I thought Namor was kind of cool. But I don't know. It, it just really didn't do much for me. And that was a little surprising. Um I still thought it was enjoyable. I'm glad I watched it. But yeah, I really didn't blow my socks off. So that like, like you've been saying, Bobby, that was just like a movie I saw that was like, okay, I think they did, you know, a decent job. I, know, I, I, think I, dug, I think I dug it more than you did that one. I mean, yeah, I know yeah, what you're saying, I mean, but like, I thought I, I thought that uh, it was long. I thought. Yeah, it just. And I enjoyed I don't know, the beginning like, too quite a bit. I enjoyed the beginning. Yeah, a lot. I, I don't know if it was like the pacing or what it was like. It, it did. It did feel kind of long. And in some parts, it just felt kind of mirandering. And I think I think what ultimately just kind of like rubbed me the wrong way throughout the film. And, you know, this is slightly spoilerish. You know, they, they, they introduce, well, I guess it's not really Atlantis, but the, the Namor, you know, capital under the sea. And like, they kind of threatened the Queen of Wakanda. And like, I don't know, it just seemed like they were doing their bidding the whole movie. And it was just like, why? Why is Wakanda... I mean, they, they, they rationalize, you know, why they were doing the things they were doing, but it, it some some things just like didn't really like makes a lot of sense to me, or it just it didn't really captivate me. You know, they they were going after this person, um, like the Namor basically came to the queen and was like, "Yo, you got to get this scientist person because they found whatever, you know." And they're like, "Okay," and they go and find the scientist person. They're like, have they're like helping them escape, and then they're like they like attack them. It's like, yo, they're doing the mission you told them to do. What the fuck? going on bro and there's just a lot of things that um i don't know it's like i i don't a lot of times in the the marvel movies and maybe it's because they're trying to take back some of like it being heavily focused on comedy or stuff i just kind of felt bored in a lot of scenes you know like i just didn't feel like that kind of energy that i feel from a lot of these things like i don't know like the the actors kind of chemistry and stuff just i don't know there's just a lot of things that just again like i still enjoyed it i still had a good time I think if you're a big MCU fan, I think it's worth checking out. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm usually very easy to please with Marvel stuff. I loved all the shows, you know, some of them, you know, more so than others. But I've been a pretty easy person to please. And this one, you know, it's like I was mad about it or anything. It's just it, it didn't really knock my socks off. And I wasn't it, anticipating it to. But it really was at the end of the it's day. Gonna like, be, mm, I it's going to be I think it's going to be the first Marvel movie where someone wins an Oscar for acting. Uh yeah, I mean, you know that, right? Sure, I, no, I'm not I, saying that's. I, a, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. This isn't me defending was, the movie. This is me just telling you. Queen, right? Didn't, didn't well, yeah, Angela Bassett fucking was running circles around people in, in general, but she was great. But 
Yeah, I wasn't me saying I mean, the movie was uh, perfect because of it. I was just like, it's interesting for a movie that wasn't. I liked it, Mike. You, I remember your opinion. You liked it too, right? If I remember correctly, I did. Yeah, but I don't think any either one of us thought it was the first one. Um, yeah, no, no, I thought there's one, no way it could be. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, it was impossible I just, shoes to fill. I thought they did as well as I could have expected in a situation where there's a lot of variables that were working against them. So, a lot of them external, of course, with you know Chadwick dying and uh, and, and, and I and think our the main one is main that. Actor. <laughs> I think the main one is that consider the timeline for this movie. The script was written. Chadwick dies. Mm-hmm. They have to rework the whole script. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, it's still overall, but I, I thought that Angela Bassett was excellent when I saw it. And I, I thought, what's her name? I keep forgetting her name, but she played Shuri. With um, Tisha Wright. She was really good, too. I thought her, she acted really well. And as you, the whole movie, I'm just thinking we should just let Mbaku handle all this. And then, you know, at the end, they kind of put M'Baku in charge. So you're just like, right on, M'Baku's in charge. That's the dude. Um, you got anything else this week, buddy? No, not really. Um, I would mention, I mean, it's not something that I personally have experienced, but I'm interested to hopefully get my hands on one uh, this week. Uh, PlayStation VR 2 comes out. Uh, they had reviews come out last week. Uh, everyone that's reviewed it has been very impressed with the tech. Um, it is pricey, um, you know, high quality VR headsets are, um, and this one is a little bit on the pricier side. And I think what's really kind of turning people off to it a little bit regarding the price is that it is more expensive than the PS5, which you do need to run it. So I think that has rubbed people the wrong way. But, you know, for someone that doesn't really follow, like, you know, the VR scene, from what I heard is like the things you're getting with it potentially it should be priced higher. Um, you know, there's like the uh, valve index is probably like the high standard of kind of VR headsets. And and this headset has some things that that one doesn't. Um, I'm really interested to try it out because of the 4k OLED screens. Um, I had PS VR one. I really enjoyed it. I think VR games are kind of an experience in and of themselves. They kind of give you something different um, than just playing like a standard controller game. Uh, being inside of it is a very interesting thing. You're physically more active. I think there's a lot of moments where you can kind of express yourself a bit more in the game than you could just with like a standard kind of like controller, like where you're just punching stuff. You can have kind of personalize your experience and kind of your flair or whatever. Um, but the PSVR was like, it was cool to be in there, but like visually it was rough. Like it shit was just blurry. Like even when you had it focused, it was just like this stuff's in like, Technically, it's in 1080, but it almost looked like 720. Everything was blurry. Like, on a visual standpoint, it did not really stand out. You needed a lot of shit to get it running. You had to have a camera. You had to have these move controllers from the PS3 that were problematic. It was an early step in VR. And now with this new headset, you know, it is not wireless like the um, Meta Quest 2 is, which I think is like the top tier of, of a budget VR headset where you don't need a PC to use that at all. Um, and it has a lot of good specs on it for the price or pinks. I think that one's at like two ninety nine, one ninety nine potentially. Um, but yeah, PSVR two has a lot of appeal to it, especially when it comes to the tech side. I think one thing it's lacking is there is a lot of games coming out at launch, but none of them are super appealing. There's no like real killer app. Um, they are launching, with this Horizon Call of the Mountain game, which I think is supposed to be kind of their showcase to kind of show you, you know, like this is what 
you know this headset's capable of um and and none of the games are i'm personally finding super appealing i think most of my interest is just that i've experienced playstation vr before i found it to be really enjoyable um and i'm interested to see when they really did everything from the ground up just how much better this version is going to be um so we'll see if i can get my hands on one i didn't pre-order one i'm kind of hoping to pick one up at retail so we'll see how the availability is but i'm i'm interested i'm intrigued so that's what i got this week um i got a bunch of random little things uh well little oh, let me just I'll go down the line here i watched the boys season three finally uh mike did you watch season three I have not, no. Okay. Um, season two of that show was not great. I don't know if anybody, if you guys watched season two of that show. Or, Mike, do you even watch no, the show? I, I should speak more, conf- more on. Yeah, yeah, I've watched the first two seasons. Okay. Second season kind of blew. Um, and uh, this season was better. There's a lot happening. I still don't entirely at times know I'm supposed to root for besides Kamiko. Sure. Kamiko is the one I root for mainly, mainly because she seems to be pure of heart and full of violence. Um, yeah, I just the main characters. He's got a case of the Ted Mosby's. I just, <laughs> just why is he there? Okay, what are we doing here? Um, but it was overall, it was interesting. I thought it was good season overall. The pretty clear allegory with Homelander, which I'm not going to spoil for either of you two gentlemen. I could done without that because enough people commented on that situation i guess there's a season four coming i'm assuming i don't know probably I seems guess. like it seems like amazon's pretty <laughs> i was gonna say pretty prime with this one well they did better but, ratings I mean, they did better numbers than every single marvel show is what they're saying they 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 made a cartoon i think they're kind of invested in that universe so I'd, I'd be shocked if it wasn't already picked up for a fourth season but i, I haven't been i think this was track. a pre-pandemic thing i might have died at this point but they were going to do that show about how like i don't know if it ever came out but it was gonna, they were gonna do a show about like that college that all these superheroes go to like vaught university i remember at one point it was a conversation mm. they were having never came out i don't know if they're still working on it um but yeah it was interesting Another thing I like is MMA on Point did a video about weight cutting and s- focusing specifically on one championship's uh, weight cutting system, where they think they solve the problem. Where in reality, based on what I what I watched in this very informative uh, thirty eight minute video, they did nothing at all. Um, it's easy to cheat their hydration test. Quite frankly, one of the guys who's helped people cheat the hydration test was interviewed for the thing. Um, I really can't emphasize enough how good this was. I don't know. You guys have probably seen MMA on point videos before. They, uh, they're the ones who do a lot of like top 10 lists or whatever and MMA stuff. But this is an excellent piece of journalistic work and poor Rich Franklin learning live in an interview that this weight cutting system that he is touting and helped develop people are cheating and it don't do shit. Kind of made me sad because I really got the impression Rich Franklin's doing his best. You know, just really thought he was doing his best. Um, but yeah, it's called, let me see. It's from MMA on point, and it is called, oh, God damn it, where'd it go? Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. It is called the weight, it's called weight, the answer to weight cutting. And very smart of them to put some uh, picture, a picture of a drawn out Conor McGregor on the, uh, you know, in the video still there. But 
yeah, they're a good channel in general. I enjoy MMA on point. Um, and then a couple other quick things. Uh, Jay Briscoe's daughters have left the hospital. Just read that today, which That's good. Um, didn't get any further update, but you know, great that they're going home. And then Mark stumbled upon one of my now favorite YouTube videos, the the Hood Slam highlights from <laughs> early December. Where I'm not going to make life too easy for you guys, but if you watch the highlight video. You definitely see a member of this podcast living his best goddamn life, right? <laughs> Just living his best life. <laughs> it was a good time. Yeah, it was a good time. I was getting beer. Wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't yeah, because I was looking. We, you know, we, Bobby said that like, oh, you know, you could see me and Mike on Hood Slam. That you know, we're right by the camera, and we didn't see the full event at first. I had a highlight one. So we're kind of looking and it's like, Oh, one time they're obviously in the crowd. It's like, is that Mike just like, obviously just eating it up, <laughs> which is the way you're supposed to do it at hood slam. You know, Dude, hood slam's um, the best. Yeah. You, you leave your fucks at the door and you just have a good time. And it was just fun to see Mike, like completely embrace that. So that was a really fun thing to see. It got I, me excited to go again. <laughs> I'm so excited that Maki Ito is going to be at hood slam in April. I just feel if there's someone built for this ridiculous, ridiculous company, it's the queen of the simps, Maki fucking Ito. I mean, she's going to ask who's the cutest in the world. And every all these drunk and high people in, o- in Oakland are going to let her know, yes, it's you. That's what's going to happen. I wonder, I wonder who she's going to wrestle. She's worked um, Dark Sheik in GCW mm-hmm. before. Because GCW, she'll get, Dark Sheik will get to GCW. It's, you know, big, uh, big, 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 uh, Booking for her. So maybe I think Dark Sheik would be cool if they'd done that before. Dark Sheik was the transgender wrestler, right? Yeah, Dark Sheik's mm-hmm. also the creator and owner and well, I'm no owner, but she she created the yeah, whole thing. Kind of her wow. baby. Yeah. Wait, wait a minute, uh, you know, really uh, just uh, simplify her. Ish. What? I mean, I'm here calling her just a transgender wrestler and she's like the owner of the shit. You know what? We've been, Mark and I have been going to Hustlam long enough that we remember, um, Dark Sheik before and after. That's why when there was like, I like I just one day looked, I'm like, Dark Sheik was a woman. And I'm just like, did they hire a new Dark Sheik? And I'm like, oh no, Dark Sheik transitioned. Good for Dark Sheik. So mm-hmm. yeah, being a piece of shit doesn't work for you at Hoodslam, by the way. Um, Nate Marquardt, by the way, getting triggered by a commercial and complaining about it. An MMA junkie literally writing, Nate Marquardt triggered by a commercial spouts off anti-LGBT <laughs> comments on Twitter. And because this is MMA, a bunch of people then came at MMA Junkie saying that he's right, you know. He didn't like sure, a commercial the commercial. Dudes dudes <laughs> he didn't like what dudes were kissing and kissing in a commercial. You know, Nate Marquardt's got a strong, strong, you know, moral fiber that does not extend to him taking a lot of steroids and other things when it came to fighting. Um... All right, we're gonna be back next week where we're gonna ret- we're gonna talk about the return of for many people the greatest of all time, Jonathan Dwight Jones, the pride of Endicott, New York. Think Endicott's in the middle of nowhere, right? It is uh, right outside of Rochester. Yeah, well, he was born in Rochester. His dad is a pastor at Mount Sinai Church of the God. A lot of Jesus in that family, John. Maybe you want to follow that a little bit more leading up to this fight. I saw a clip of John Jones uh, from back uh, UFC 128 when he won the title, and it was after he ran down the mugger, like the day of the the day of the fight. He ran down the mugger in the park, 
and saved a lady's right. purse, and you're like, wow, the kid's a superhero. Whoo! Maybe not. Um, Maybe a phone. We're going to see who the new heavyweight champion of the world is. They're going to call it the undisputed champion, but the other heavyweight champion never lost his belt. So it's going to be pretty disputed for a bit here. But we're going to see John Jones is Cyril Gaon. Um, jo- Cyril Gaon couldn't take it, couldn't stop a takedown to save his life before, but John Jones ain't fought in, uh, in like two and a half, three years anyway. So we'll see. Uh, also going to see, uh, well, no one on this podcast seems to think so, but see if Alexa Grasso is going to take that title off of, uh, off of Valentina Shevchenko. Um, and of course, Jeff Neal, Shavkat Rachmanov, Matthias Gamrot, Jalen Turner, Bo Nickel, Jamie Pickett. This main card fucking rules. All right. Fucking yeah, rules. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Fucking the undercard has got Drickus Duplessis versus Derek Brunson. That is better than this, like every fight on this card, except for probably the main event, Mark. Like, that's. We can mm-hmm. use it. Yeah, they no. could have sent one of these. It's a week. Be- they could have asked one of these guys, hey, man, who wants an extra 10 G's to move their fight up a week? You know, could have helped us all out a bit. I'd rather they have a stacked card. Yeah, that's true. Poor soldier not- paying eighty freaking bucks for it, um, mm. and yeah. give these freebies to be whatever. But yeah, it's a good pay per view card. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, we're gonna talk about that next week. We're gonna see. Well, that's really what we're gonna talk about. Honestly, that is it's, John Jones doesn't come back, and we're gonna talk about something else. So uh, we're talk about that, um, and uh, maybe talk about the return of Peter Yan, who's fighting the right one week after that uh, against Marab Devishvili. It's a fucking sick fight, too. Um, until then, I was Dr. Law. That was DJ Mark. Great to have you back. Lavender Gooms. See y'all next week. Peace. See ya. So the whole enter- entertainment event is just on uh, YouTube, huh? Yeah, every minute. But the highlight video is where we saw your wonderful excitement. <laughs> yeah. It was worth it. It was worth it. Fun to watch. Is that Mike? (laughs) Highlight of the day on Friday for me, buddy. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Peace out.